0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I was thinking last week as our children performed that musical and sang that song right in the middle, you know, you don't, you don't expect that right in the middle of a children's musical. You think, you know, we're going to do little songs and you know, candy canes and sugar plums and, and yet the resonating truth that our stories don't always unfold the way we desire. In fact, that's probably the chief source of conflict, isn't it, is when the stories aren't unfolding the way we desire and, you know, we, we start to make decisions about whether God gets to be God. I mean, yes. if you're going to run it this way, I'm not sure I want you in charge. Running amok. Yeah, running amok. So we're thinking a little bit today about frozen dreams, and we've been thinking in this series about the reality that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light is dawn. And while the prophetic voices that come to us at the close of the Old Testament, they're, they're creating this imagery of, of sort of a frozen, stuck place. People, people in, You know, we talk about this you know 400 years of silence that marks the period of time between the last of the prophetic writings and the opening of the story of the New Testament and and God is raising the curtain on this second act and you know it's not like history stops we know a lot about what's going on in the world during those 400 years and we know a lot about what's happening to Israel and it's very significant It's just that it's not a piece of the prophetic pieces that make up this story. So then the gospel writers, as they open the New Testament, they have a task. And the task is, how do we wake everybody up after 400 years? I mean, I have trouble after 20 minutes in here. You understand what I'm saying? See, if you laugh, that tells me you're awake. Thank you. So this idea, this thought then, is is that these New Testament writers have to somehow grab people and shake them and say, no, no, this is it. This is the thing. This is what we were waiting for. Those people living in darkness, seeing a great light, this is it. So that Luke, when he opens his gospel, he says, I am writing an orderly account so that you may know for certain the things that you've been taught. And I think about and reflect on that. We've been thinking about in this Advent season, how many times do you get an opportunity for somebody to say to you, I want you to take an orderly account so that you may be certain of what you've been taught. We're not certain about very many things. We're not certain as we enter into this season what it looks like and what it means. When C.S. Lewis attempts to then create a world in which this darkness is reflected, he chooses the imagery of winter, always winter and never Christmas. He creates this land of Narnia in which all of the reality, everything is frozen, everything is locked down, nothing is moving, nothing is moving forward, there's no hope of breakthrough, there's no hope of springtime, and he creates this world, and we've been thinking about that imagery, it's always winter and never Christmas, and one of the things that gets frozen in us are frozen dreams. When Henry David Thoreau began his conversation, and maybe his best-known quote, even though we don't necessarily always attribute it to him, is this quote, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Now, I don't know if that's a saying that you enjoy. Most of us probably don't have that on a plaque in our home somewhere, celebrating it. But it matters when he spoke the words, because he spoke the words at a time in his life where he had experienced his own series of fame. He, he had been successful in his endeavors and what he was doing, but he had found himself dissatisfied. And so he decided to change his story, and he radically changes his story. He moves to Walden Pond. He decides that what would sort of mitigate his sense of desperation would be somehow taking better care of himself, changing his practices. And so he communes with nature. He he practices solitude. He goes there. So his statement, most people lead lives of quiet desperation, isn't, it's not sort of something that is inevitable. It's not something that's permanent. It's just, it's just an observation. And maybe when this Christmas season, when, you know, we're feeling joyful and connected and anticipating, maybe somewhere in there, you, you also feel overwhelmed and some of that. And when we live in lives that are somewhat overwhelmed, we have a tendency to get frozen, to get stuck. And one of the places is in the dreams we dream. And I think our dreams are connected deeply into the stories that we tell. What if the change of practices in your life and your story would have some impact on what it looks like in your journey? As I was uh, doing research, everybody doing okay, by the way? I just sort of jumped in and we started talking. Good, good. How are you? And uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, uh, as you think about these next few days, and uh, what, a, what a great... I've always thought, wouldn't it be nice if uh, Christmas was on the same day every year instead of moving around in the calendar? Cause doesn't that mess you up? Yes. I mean, I woke up this morning, and I'm thinking, okay, so it's church, but that's not Christmas Eve. Tomorrow's the eve of Christmas Eve, and then we're... And that's a different and then there's Christmas and I think there's food involved and I think there's some kind of gifts thing going on I don't know so this is that moment in the season where I'm just like ah, I'm kind of vibrating you know but to take a little deep breath and to think about that when I was doing research for this I came across a, a website It's called legacies and and uh, it, it talks about the power of story and the power of storytelling and uh, just listen to the thoughts that are recorded fairy tales myths and legends can help you make your own dreams and goals come true to the Navajos a person's worth is determined by the stories they know because this knowledge links the individual to the history of the entire group the very word story comes from storehouse a story is a store or a storehouse things are actually stored in a story and what tends to be stored there is meaning Through story, we get a sense of what the world and what our life in it means. Once upon a time, so begins the stories of childhood. These are stories that center on heroic combat with forces of evil, romantic fantasies of true love, riddles and paradoxes that address our baser instincts. They are noble and patriotic, brave and true, alluring and beautiful. They generally end with evil being eradicated, love triumphant, and everyone decent, living happily ever after. These stories have a function and they're instructive in many ways. Favorite stories are passed along from from generations around the world. Nearly every culture on the planet has a Cinderella story because as human beings we reach back into our common history and experience for knowledge about truth and direction for the future. Fairy tales and legends and heroic historical epics, biblical stories and poignant family stories are often the first hint at meaningful order That a child gleans from the experiences of the past it's through story that young and old connect in very meaningful ways stories help us understand our relationships with each other they encourage compassion they create a sense of wonder and they give us a feeling that hey we're all in this together stories can make both young and old reflect on why we're here shock us into new truth give us new perspectives hearing stories about things that were long ago also gives children their ability. To dream and try to imagine what the future might look like. And I don't think we venture very far from that, do we? I mean, I think the reality is the story we tell ourselves, the stories in which we traffic, have a lot to do with our ability to dream. And so the question this morning is, what story are you telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself about your life, about your relationship, about the world, about the context of the culture? What story are you telling yourself? Because that story has a lot to do with what's going on inside of you. It has a lot to do with how your faith is shaped. It has a lot to do with how happy you are or how contented you are in the midst of what's going on around us. I love Frederick Beekner. He's one of my favorite writers. And, and uh, I, I think he, uh, he says things in ways that I find completely captivating. And uh, I recognize this about him, and that is he's weird. He's super weird. Uh, he's very eclectic in his style. Uh, but I like his writing so much that I thought this morning, as we think about story, uh, one of my favorite passages that he ever wrote, uh, I'd read to you. And uh, if it's you don't get it, too bad. I like it. <laughs> we weren't born yesterday. We're from Missouri, but we are also from somewhere else. We're from Oz, from Looking Glass Land, from Narnia, and from Middle Earth. If with part of ourselves we are men and women of the world and share the sad unbeliefs of the world, with a deeper part still, the part where dreams come from, it is as if we were indeed born yesterday or almost yesterday because we are also, all of us, children still. No matter how forgotten and neglected, there is a child in all of us who is not just willing to believe in the possibility that maybe fairy tales are true after all, but who is to some degree in touch with that truth. You pull the shade on the snow falling white on white, and the child comes to life for a moment. There's a fragrance in the air, a certain passage of a song, an old photograph falling out from the pages of a book, the sound of somebody's voice in the hall that makes your heart leap and fills your eyes with tears. Who can say when or how it will be that something easters up out of the dimness to remind us of a time before we were born or after we will die? The child in us lives in a world where nothing is too familiar or unpromising to open up into the world where a path unwinds before our feet into a deep wood. And when that happens, neither the world we live in nor the world that lives in us can ever entirely, ever entirely be home again any more than it was home for Dorothy in the end, either because in the Oz books that follows the withered, she keeps coming back again and again to Oz because Oz, not Kansas, is where her heart is, and the wizard turns out not to be a humbug, but the greatest of all wizards after all. I, I, I like this thought that you and I have a certain childlikeness in us. And part of the story we tell ourselves is based in this reality of how much we believe in the possibilities of our life. And that has everything to do with the story that we are telling ourselves. And I, I know that for a lot of us, we, we talk about this. I'm going to tell the truth about my life. I I want to talk about the truth of my life. (laughs) Sometimes we say things in relationship to others. Sometimes we say things about our culture and our world, and we find them to be truth. And maybe they have truth in them. But are they the truth? Are they the story that needs to be told? Are they the story that could unfreeze our dreams? Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. We've taken this series from the Old Testament prophets, and, and, and they've painted us a story. And there's anticipation. Joel, he anticipates, and, and, and uh, he's quoted by Peter in the New Testament as saying, uh, this is what you have heard about. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, and on men and women the Spirit will be poured out on you. There will come this time when the dreams are reawakened, when something significant happens. And and the reason I mention that to you is that what Peter is saying is Christmas ushers in this time. Has it ushered in this time for you? A time when you sense the presence and the Spirit and you dream dreams and you see visions and you feel this kind of inextinguishable hope. What story are you telling? Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He didn't want the job of being a prophet. He begins uh, his work as a prophet in about 626 B.C. And I know that on a Sunday morning like this, you, you so are just desiring to connect with the history of it all. So he begins, his, he begins his ministry in 626, which if you kind of know your history, about 597, the first exile to Babylon happens. So you get that? We're about 30 years prior to the first exilic experience where King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes uh, uh, the southern kingdom into uh, exile. Uh, That's when Ezekiel is taken into exile. That's when Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel all move into Babylon uh, into exile. And and so he's 30 years prior to this, and he's been assigned to be the prophet that would tell people, hey, 30 years from now, this is coming. And, And when God says, I want you to be the prophet, and I want you to tell this story, he says, no, thank you. I don't want to. I, that is not, I do not want to spend the next 30 years of my life telling that story. That is not what I want to do. And then God says, well, I've got great news for you. Um, not only do I want you to tell the story, I don't want you to marry and I don't want you to have children. I want this story to be your sole focus. Now, that's why he's called the weeping prophet. Because <laughs> he's not happy about it. In fact, it's astonishing to me when you read Jeremiah's account. Uh, he has a section of his book called his confessions. In fact, they, they sprinkle throughout the book. And in his sections that we call confessions, he's just very frankly saying to God, "Uh, I really don't like the way you're running the world. You know, I mean, he just very blatantly says, it's not working out the way I'd hoped. My life's not going the way I'd hoped. I would rather be doing something else. I would rather be saying different words. And there's sort of this paradoxical thing happening in the writings of Jeremiah as they unfold. And as he begins to tell those stories. Jeremiah 12, 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. So far, so good, right? Yet I would speak with you about your justice. (laughs) Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? I mean, that's a a little prophet saying, listen, I'm out here preaching this stuff. How about a little something, something? Uh, How about a little help? How about something works out for the good people? How about some people that are telling the decent story? How about something comes their way? But it's not coming this way. It's not happening like that. Thankfully, we don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> Thankfully, we're happy to just, you know, do the right thing for the right reasons and tell the right story, no matter what it costs us. Jeremiah fifteen, eighteen. Why is my pain unending? And my wound grievous and incurable. You are to me like a deceptive brook. Like a spring that fails. I don't know. That's great imagery, isn't it? I mean, what, he, he creates this image that says, I'm like a starving man. I'm like a person that's in the desert. I'm like a person that's longing for a drink. And I show up and the spring fails it's like i can see it out there like it's it's in the distance i i can almost taste it i can smell the water from here but when i show up there's just nothing there and why is it like that and i don't know about you but when i think about that i think this is in the bible i would have cleaned this up (laughs) i mean i i just wouldn't have left it i would have said you know people are going to read that and they're going to be discouraged and I'm not sure we need all of that kind of gestalt in our country. You know, let's, let's have a little less reality, a little more fantasy as it unfolds. And it turns out that that's exactly what Jeremiah is facing. He's facing a whole group of people who are telling stories and dreaming dreams that are not true. And he's stuck with a story that is true, and it has all kinds of implications. So, so what's happening to Jeremiah is that there are a whole group of people who say, you know what, it doesn't really matter how you live, and it doesn't matter what your choices are, and it doesn't matter what your practices are. It really doesn't matter. Ultimately, God is just going to take care of everything and everybody, so just, just, just keep hoping for something better. Now, it would be one thing if Jeremiah you know, if, the tenu- if his tenure as prophet would have been like a year or two years or five. But for 30 years, he has to say, no, it matters what you choose. No, it matters the story you tell. No, it matters how you relate to the people around you. No, it matters the truth that you believe. No, it all matters. It all has significance. And even in the midst of that, when things don't seem to be going well, there's still a story that matters to you. Surprisingly, Jeremiah doesn't have many friends. In fact, we're really told about one ongoing relationship in the, in the very, very self-revealing letters that he writes. We find that he has one really close friendship and relationship, and that is with a person named Baruch, who serves as his secretary and records all of his findings. <laughs> And so as a contemporary of Habakkuk and Obadiah, you know, later it would be Ezekiel. They would serve during the same kind of period, you know, Jeremiah at the beginning, Ezekiel towards the end. He is commissioned to write a letter in 597 when the exiles have all gone now into Babylon. He remains in Jerusalem and God says, I want you to write a letter and I want you to send it to those people in exile. And so he calls Baruch and he begins to dictate a letter It's contained in Jeremiah 29. This is what it says. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now we're going to skip because you don't need to read all of the next interlude. This is what, verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your Heart. So, so Jeremiah is writing this letter, and he's over in Jerusalem and the people over in exile, and he sends the letter, and he says, "Listen, it ain't going to be fixed very quickly. It's not going to come together very fast. But this moment, verse 29 in his writings mark a turning point, because now he's talked all about the 30 years and what's happening, and now it's happened. And now he's going to look forward to something else. He's going to turn the story. Not surprisingly, as with all of the prophets, the story turns on the promise of a coming Messiah. The story turns on the future promise of what will be. We pick up the story again in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will be not not like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that it wa- its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Jeremiah 33:14. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah in those days, and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So so, like all the other Old Testament prophets, they, they talk about the reality of what is, they talk about how the story is unfolding, they talk about where God is in the process, they 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 speak these words of this this deep, deep truth about the reality of life, and then they say, and you can anticipate this is where the story turns. This is where the new part begins. You can expect something significant to happen that will change the covenant. It will change the story. It will change everything. And there's this new reality coming. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. These are exilic words. These are words of the exilic prophets to people who have been disenfranchised and pulled away and their lives and their stories are not unfolding the way they'd hoped and planned and dreamed and their dreams are frozen. And when our dreams get frozen... We have a tendency to invest ourselves in dreams of escape, in dreams of fantasy, in dreams of maybe creating a world that doesn't actually exist, but it might in our minds. And so Jeremiah writes, I see three things that he speaks to those people in exile that I think are incredibly significant to you and I as we go about this crazy world in which we live. Number one, he says to them, you need to settle down. You need to settle down. I don't know about you, but the world is uh, crazy, is it not? Yes. And, uh, and we participate in its craziness. And uh, I am weary of the debate. I am weary of the analytical process of our culture and our world. I'm weary of the conflict and divisiveness of our politics and our culture. And it's fascinating to me that we think it's so bad. You're waiting for what's next, aren't you? (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm just saying, have you read the story of the world? Have you you read the history? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but It seems to me that maybe if we are folks who are living in frozen dreams, it's because we're telling ourselves a story that's not true. And one of the stories that's getting told in our culture is that everything's falling apart. Well, maybe it is, maybe it needs to. Because, I don't know about you, but it wasn't a Democrat or Republican lying in the manger in Bethlehem. And this is just about politics. This is just about, but aren't you and I invited to live something different? Aren't we invited to? I'm not saying it's not true. This is true, but it's not the truth. Right. And I'm guessing that, that that one thing, just about our culture and politics, yeah, it's true, but it's not the truth. Right. Amen. You, you could apply that to, to your own story and your own life and your own family. There is a narrative going on in our families about people in our family. Okay, there are, there are stories that go on in our family. All of you people clearly are more mature than me. <laughs> but we tell, and, and we say things like this to one another. Well, I've got to, I've got to say this because it's the truth. I mean, I, I can't pretend. <laughs> well, it might be the truth, but it's not the truth. It's just this truth. And see, I, I grew up, sort of believing that if you loved God and God loved you, He would keep you from going through things that were difficult and terrible. I mean, you know, like if you picked out a favorite verse in the Bible, here's a really good one. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. That was my expectations as a child. Me and God, we're just going to be opening doors. (laughs) We'll just skip through life, and he'll bless and favor me with good things, and and I'll love him, and he'll love me, and we will live happily ever after. Amen? And I grew up in that culture, and it might not have been intentional, but that was a message I got. And then the message that I also got, because people did go through tragedy, I would get this message. Well, I'm sure there's a reason. Oh, so they messed up, and God smacked them one. That's some messed-up theology, isn't it? And yet we retain pieces of it. And the problem with creating a world like the one that Jeremiah's adversaries were creating is that when you create a world in which there are no consequences, there's no difficulties, there's no pain, you create a world that dumbs down the story of the gospel. Because the story of the gospel is not that everything is okay. It's that when everything is not okay... I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I don't want you to be people who fall down every time the circumstances get hard. I want you to be people that know that in the midst of circumstances, I've got you. Settle down, settle down. The Democrats and Republicans are not messing up God's plan. Okay, let's say that differently. The Democrats and Republicans can only mess up the plan to a certain degree. (laughs) And that is the truth, but it is not the truth. And the truth is, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Settle down. Stop panicking. It doesn't matter if you're panicking sociologically, culturally. Maybe you're panicking in your own family. You're just panicked. My child decided this. My child chose this. My parents are doing this. My, ah! My weird uncle's coming to Christmas. Ah, <laughs> Settle down. Jeremiah says, listen, settle down. You people, settle down. Just settle down. Then number two, he says, live the life you've been given. Plant a garden. Eat a vegetable for Pete's <laughs> sake. Give your children in marriage. Go on. I mean, I know you want to put your life on hold till everything works out and it's all come together. Guess what? That never, ever happens. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Maybe after you die. I I love that cartoon, you know, the two guys, I I mentioned this trying, the two guys sitting out on the hillside in heaven, and they're eating pork tenderloin sandwiches. You people don't know what that is, do you? Some of you have migrated from places where they eat things that uh, are absolutely wonderful and can kill you in an instant. One of those things is a pork tenderloin sandwich. It's It's a nice tender piece of pork that's pounded out flat, breaded and deep fried, of course. Certainly overlaps the bun. I mean, the bun is here, the meat is here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually served over the top of a big vat of French fries because there's not enough cholesterol in the meat itself. And they're sitting out on the hillside in heaven, and they're each eating one of these big pork tenderloin sandwiches, and one looks at the other and says, Imagine we hadn't eaten all that kale, we could have been here 10 years earlier. And that's not only this truth, that is the truth. (laughs) But he says, plant a garden. You're going to be there a while. Settle in. Give your kids in marriage. If you don't give your kids in marriage, you can't have grandchildren. You can never get back at your children through your grandchildren if you don't give them in marriage. Live in the story you've been given. Live in the life you've been given. I know it's not ideal. I know it's not what you dreamed of. I know that how you drew it, it is not how it is all working out. I know this was not. But listen, you still have so many good things to embrace and live in. There's so many good pieces for you to... Enjoy and celebrate and feel joyful over. Don't let the things that are broken rob you of the things that are deeply true about human beings. Yes, the politics got messed up. Yes, you got in exile. Yes, it's a mess. But listen, there are some things that are eternally true about human beings. Love each other. Plant a garden. Watch the cycle of life be born over and over. Engage yourself. The world has not stopped functioning. It hasn't stopped working. You're just at a period of time where it's kind of ugly and unpleasant. Tell yourself a better story. It has something to do with the dreams you're able to dream. Finally, he says to them, dream a godly dream. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and give you a hope and a future. And, and this turning point, verse chapter 29, gives way to the prophetic writings that now come uh, strongly from chapter 30 to chapter 33. As he begins this anticipation of the coming of this Christ who will bring this kingdom to life in each one of us. You'll no longer live by a covenant over there in the law. This will be written on your hearts. It will exist in you. You won't have to be taught this. This will be in you. And I don't know about you, but I always wanted God to endorse my dreams. And the longer I live, the more I understand that that is a very painful way to live. I mean, I keep trying to get him to, I mean, I keep making a lot of plans and dreaming some dreams and saying, okay, this has got to be it. (laughs) I mean, this one's all cleaned up. I don't even want anything bad in this dream. (laughs) I just want all the good stuff. I mean, for others. (laughs) And somewhere along the way, you and I finally get to a place where we have to confess this truth. Not my will, but your will be done. How we ever imagined that it was something else, I don't really know. How we ever imagined that it was, you know, you just make a plan and ask God to bless it and, and, and the measure of your spirituality is based on how many of your dreams come true and, and if all your dreams aren't coming true, maybe you didn't get your spirituality right. You got to go back and rework your faith. If you have more faith, then God will do more nice things for you. I'm not sure how we ever gleaned that story from a story where the main character prays in a garden and says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. The story that is unfolding in front of me is not the one I would have chosen. That the very Son of God bows in that space and says, this is not how I wanted it to go. This is not how, this is not how I, I wish it would be. Could it be different? Could you somehow give me a different story and a different dream? And then in this anguish moment, he prays this prayer, which to me encapsulates everything about what it means to be a follower. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I don't, I don't want this story. I don't like this story. I don't need this story. I'd like for it to be a different story. I'd like for it to look like this and not that. Nevertheless, what if God is a better storyteller than we could ever be? And what if you and I are being invited in this space, in this season, to celebrate not what the prophets anticipated, but what God has given? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the people of exile, they might look at us and go, You guys are living in this season of the We anticipated and saw it from afar, we had hope. We were the people living in darkness in the land of the shadow of death. You are the people on whom this new light has dawned. God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. It might not look like you thought. It might not be what you expected, but God keeps his words. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Settle down. Live the life you've been given. Dream a godly dream. And don't forget to be joyful somewhere along the way. Because it's okay. It's okay. It's actually okay for you to enjoy a merry Christmas. It's actually glad tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God, would you help us? As we enter into this week of celebration and season, and for some of us, our frozen dreams have bound us up in a way where we're not feeling a lot of joy. And yet here we are. We're celebrating the truth that you keep your word. That you came tabernacled in human flesh. You were tempted in every way as we are tempted. That we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. So we're invited to come boldly before the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy in our time of need. This is not about some sanitized life in which nothing bad ever happens. This is about a promise That in the midst of the story that is unfolding around us, you know the plans you have for us to prosper us and not to harm us. To teach us and grow us and bring us depth. To bring us the good news of a Savior. So I pray grace over every home and family represented. Those on live stream, I pray that you would help each one of us to take a deep breath in this season and settle down. And help us to live the life we've been given to the very best of our ability to see the joy in it and the grace in it and the blessing in it. And I pray that you would build in each one of us a godly dream in this season. I pray that you would bless every home, every family, every life, man, woman, child with the truth of this Merry Christmas. And I prayed in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, Amen. "Amen." Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.